Welcome back to another episode of the Fantasy Baseball Buds. Richie and I are here with you today to break down the NL East prospect risers and fallers. We are getting at the tail end of our risers and fallers series. We are getting closer to trade deadline. We talked a little bit last week about some names that we expect to be moved in the coming week. We will have a full breakdown episode for you probably the week after next since we are going to be in New York watching the Mets and the Yankees in back-to-back days. But we're excited for a lot of news coming in the next week. But today, we're going to break it down for you in the NL East. Richie, what's going on today? Yeah, I'm just excited to knock off two more stadiums on my bucket list. That's one thing I want to do before I pass is see every home stadium of MLB teams. I think I got like 10 checked off, so this gets me a step closer. But also, your bachelor party, that'll be amazing. I'm looking forward to it. I don't think we're going to have time to record for next week just because we're going to be out and about. But, yeah, there's going to be some big trades. I hope uh, Otani gets moved to the Yankees beforehand and we can see his first game on that Monday, which I think is August 1st or maybe it's July 31st. But it's it's pretty much at the deadline, so I'm looking forward to that. Not recording next week. I think we have a misunderstanding here. What's going to happen is you're going to get home from the airport. You're going to open the door. The baby's going to be crying. Carly's going to have her hair in a mess. <laughs> and she's going to go to hand you, you know, the baby. And the you're going to be like, no, nah, honey, I got to record. I'm, I'm so yeah. sorry. Uh, I'll see you yeah, in three let hours. Me know, let me see how that works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know that you'll be alive after I'll that. I'll be on dad duty as soon as we get back. That is That much is for certain. But there was at least one trade since we last recorded. Not, not very big, but eh, maybe we can mention it. It was Genesis Cabrera of the St. Louis Cardinals. I think he's like a sixth or seventh inning low leverage reliever. Traded to the Toronto Blue Jays for Sammy Hernandez, a 19-year-old catcher. He was the 14th-round draft pick in last year's draft. He was only batting 213 with three home runs, 15 RBIs, and 42 games at single A. But he will be reporting to the Florida Complex League for the Cardinals. So looks like the Cardinals will be major sellers, and this is just a small move. I think the big moves come this weekend at the deadline. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think I think Sunday um, into Monday, because I think Monday is the deadline. Yeah, I think Monday at like noon or something. Yeah. Or um, two or three. I don't know the exact. My hope is that we get to – I haven't looked at the projected um, rotations. I actually did. I lied. Uh, Verlander is on a double this week. We were talking about that for your matchup and how it pertains to fantasy. And I think we may catch him on Sunday if he's not traded. Uh, that would be a really exciting opportunity for us to, you know, we're going to be going to um, the Mets game on Sunday, Yankees game on Monday. And I didn't even um, think of that. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. So, I mean, either him or I don't know what, how it's rotationally set up with him and Scherzer, but hopefully we get to catch one of them. Um, and if not, maybe we get to see Kodai Senga. So at least we'll get to, we'll get something out of that that well, game. Hopefully Verlander doesn't get traded before that. <laughs> Ideally, he gets traded to the Yankees and we get to watch him either way. Um, that That's not going to happen, of course. But I highly doubt the Mets would trade to the Yankees, but you never know. I mean, you know, cross leagues. Listen, he, Cohen's Maybe. not Cohen's like, "Hey, I have 43 million dollars burning a hole in my pocket. Why don't I just hand it off to the Yankees?" And I think that's I think that's going to be a really big play and I, and I don't think that was really something you and I talked about last week when we were really thinking about players that can get traded like the Mets might be in an opportunity here to move these pieces with the expectation that I think they're going to make a run at Otani in the offseason. So um, very interesting to see if Verlander or Max Scherzer get traded. I think there's a lot on the hot stove that's going to heat up, especially over the next week. We could see some some pretty significant deals. 
and we're going to talk about the Mets today in the uh, NL East prospect breakdown. And we could just see them, you know, acquiring more assets, more minor leaguers that can only add to already a strong system with Batty and Alvarez already up. So let's knock into it. We're going to start it off with the Atlanta Braves. Um, by far the most exciting minor league system in all of baseball. That's a joke, of course. Uh, Richie, why don't you go ahead and kick off some of the risers we have for the Braves? Yeah, so we've got three or four risers. One technically, I don't think can qualify as a riser, but something to note. The first is AJ Smith Shaver. He is now the number one overall prospect for the Braves. Made a crazy ascension all the way from high A all the way to the majors this year. He is back down at triple A, but he's been fantastic. Um, improved his command. I think he added a couple ticks on his fastball. And then we've got some lower level guys because they're I mean, scraping the barrel. Yeah, their farm is not that great. But so we're going to go deep. We got Ignacio Alvarez, also known as Nacho. He's been doing well at high A, batting 293. No, or six home runs. I misread that. Um, so not much power, but he has got 50 grade hit tool. But a lot of these guys at the lower levels, it's hard to tell. Um, they haven't seen much ball. And then we also have Luis Guanipa, if I said that right. He was part of the international signings for the Braves this year. Has a 55-grade hit tool, 50 power. He is at rookie ball in the Dominican Summer League. He's batting 278 right now with four home runs. That is across 29 games, 108 at-bats. So it's not over the full season. So the home runs are a nice token for somebody at the DSL. And then the last riser I wanted to mention was Herson Waldrop. We talked about him on our draft episode, I believe it was. But anyways, we talked about how he had a fantastic splitter. He's got an okay fastball, but he has zero command of his secondaries and his fastball. If there was an organization to fix Herson Waldrop, it would be the Atlanta Braves. There is some reliever risk here with him, but I think he could develop into a starter, maybe have some promise. He was drafted out of Florida, so I'm curious to see what he does. Maybe at the end of this year, I don't know if they're going to give him any innings because he did pitch in the World Series, but I definitely want to keep an eye on him next year and see how he develops. Yeah, I think Waldrop is probably the only player in this system that I will be monitoring outside of Nacho. Um kind of going into spring training of next year and uh, April and, and, and May to see kind of like, how does he get a jump start? Is he, is he looking dominant in the minor leagues? Is he looking like he can be a starter? You know, that splitter is his call pitch. It's something that he's going to rely on and, and he has to as a, as a plus plus pitch. Um, and the question mark is, can he be effective with that pitch being, you know, a plus pitch? Can he build other pitches around that? But I, I think they got a very good steal in the draft if they can turn him into a starter. And um, that's kind of what we've seen from the Braves. After they tapped out the minor leagues with the position players, we started to see the ascension of some of these starting pitchers in Strider, in um, A.J. smith Shaver, and, you know, Waldrop could just be another name to that equation. So, well, there's not much to be excited about. Um, there was a player that I was actually excited about to start the year, and he's on our fallers list, and it's very unfortunate news. Um, maybe you can kick that off, Richie. No pun intended here. Yeah, uh, the and then we have one more. Yeah, the first one is Braden Schumacher, <laughs> totally butchering the last name. He was their first-round draft pick, 21st overall in 2019. He's got amazing defense and a good hit tool, or that's at least what he was drafted for, not much power. He actually played two games in the majors this year, went 0 for 4 in 
his debut and then went back to AAA. Only betted 222. That's coming off of a year in 2022 where he betted 259. So he's regressed quite a bit. No power to speak of. I mean, he's got seven last year, 11 this year, but I feel like power's up across the board. Just, you know, Von Grissom struggled. And I thought Braden, Braden Shoemake might be able to take that over from him in his absence, but he hasn't stepped up to the plate. And then the other faller is J.R. Ritchie, somebody who you like a lot, but he has struggled mightily. 5.4 ERA, only 13 and a third innings, 25 strikeouts, but I believe he has Tommy John. Or Correct. So he has, um, he has two individualized separate tears of the UCL. Uh, so he is he is either gone under the knife already or will be. And I think that's probably to go into his four starts this year. I'd have to imagine that I'm imagining he was hurt. Uh, two separate tears is is pretty significant. Um, and I, you know, I, I don't know the medical field enough and I, I haven't tracked enough of the data in regards to Tommy John, but this is one of the first times I've heard of a pitcher having two separate tears. And just the article I was reading on it was talking about how significant of a, a surgery this is going to be in comparison to other um, past Tommy John recipients. Yeah, and the shitty thing is is that he was drafted 35th overall last year, 2022, and that's about the part of the draft where I get excited. I feel like you hear about these comp rounds, and it's all about playing with the money. I'm curious where he would have went. He signed for $2.4 million, which I'm not sure what that slot bonus is, but... I think he had a high pedigree. I'm trying to figure out where he went to high school or college. He rated out really out. well, and, and he, I expected Richie to have a similar ascension in the back half of this season that Smith Solver had. Um, That's and fair. Then the injuries, I mean, what are you, you going to do, right? We're going we're gonna to talk about the Phillies and um, Painter here in a little bit, but it's like it's just part of the game, right? Like it's just part of the game. So. Richie's out all this year. Um, I expect there to be developmental um, stunting going into next year. I would consider 22 or 2023 and 2024 almost a loss for him. So really start to pay attention again, maybe back half of next year if he can get in some games. This might be a candidate for Arizona fall in 2024, kind of bridging him into the 2025 season, getting those innings back up. Uh, but yeah, disappointing because we talked about um, Waldrip. Like Richie was – until Waldrop entered the equation, probably the only player I was thinking could be a blue chip prospect, and now he's gone. Yeah, that's crazy. It's also weird to hear you say Richie and not reference me, so that I'm trying to get used to mm, that. Yes, the self-importance. I like yes, that. Yes, um, me. I could have two <laughs> UCL tears for all you know. Listen, I, th I think you put us into a uh, MRI machine. They're going to find plenty wrong with us. Um, it's a... It's a godsend. We're not professional athletes. Okay. Um, let's move on here. We got Miami Marlins next. Uh, just another fantastic system to talk about. I feel like we've been saying that a lot since we've been doing these breakdowns, but we do have some pitchers that we like in this organization. We actually have a 26-year-old hitter who, looking at the numbers, I enjoy a lot. Why don't you break these players down for us? Yeah, so outside of developing pitching, they're not really known for developing hitting in the Miami Marlins, but Troy Johnston, all the way down 27th in their rankings, he's raking at double A, 296 batting average, he's got 18 home runs, the walk to strikeout rate is pretty good, 42 walks to 64 strikeouts, I like that, he's got some speed, 16 stolen bases. He's also a journeyman. He was drafted 17th round, 501st overall back in 2019. Gets okay grades, mostly known for his hit tool, but 
the Marlins need hitting. I could see him possibly moving to AAA before the end of the year. And if he keeps continuing at this pace, I could maybe see him at the beginning of next year. We'll see. Um, the other risers we have is Patrick Monteverde. I believe he was in the Futures game, but I think he debuted as like a reliever or he showed up in the eighth or ninth inning. Um, trying to pull up his stats here. He's an eighth round draft pick out of 2021. He's 25 years old, so we like that. Not a great fastball at 40. I think he sits like low 90s, but he's got a good slider, good change, and good command. So if he can locate that fastball, he can work with his secondaries. Um, my MLB pipeline's not loading, but I see in the notes here we've got 15 games. He's 8 and 2 with a 2.44 ERA and 90 strikeouts to 84 and 2 thirds. And then the last riser we have is Jake Etter, somebody who is recovering, I believe, from Tommy John. He's a left-handed pitcher. He's at double A. He's got a 4-5 ERA and 33 and two-thirds innings, but he's got 38 strikeouts. Love that. He's got massive upside. Um, trying to pull up what he did last. So last time we saw him was in 2021. And when he was healthy, he had a 1-7-7 ERA in 15 games. In 71 and a third innings, he struck out in 99 um, batter. So if he can return to that level of production, I think we can see a good pitcher here, but I'm a little curious how his walks are going to go. It looks like he's a little erratic coming back from injury, but he could just be shaking off some rust. So yeah, he, Edder has had just like the full epitome of unfortunate luck. So Tommy John surgery back in 2021. So it was Tommy John. Yeah. Um, had a broken foot coming into this season. So you're talking about stunts in development all over the board. And I, I think too, this is a, a former Vanderbilt player. Uh, so you have the college pedigree, but I think this is kind of the first thing to show is that his command is going to have to be developed and it's going to take a little bit longer when you have this many breaks in the developmental cycle, Command is going to be a the first thing or the last thing to come back after Tommy John, and b when you're talking about another developmental stint with a broken foot, you're just prolonging that development. So, I'm actually very high on him. I think we could be talking about him, 2024 as a guy, May June where we're starting to see absolute dominance in the minor leagues. Um, we need to see that strikeout rate get a little bit higher, uh, but we only have eight games really to play off this year. ERA, I'm not as concerned about in the minor leagues. Like we just don't know environments that well to be able to really gauge that. But I think he could be a climber and a fast climber next year. He's definitely a name to keep an eye on. Yeah, so moving on to the fallers, we talk about the hitters not developing in the Marlins system. The big one for me is Khalil Watson. When you hear Khalil Watson, or at least for me, when I hear Khalil Watson, I group him in the group with Jordan Lawler, Marcelo Meyer. Those were the three shortstops in that 2021 draft. They were all supposed to go, and it was, I mean, on draft day, it was like, pick your choice. They're all going to be studs. They're all going to be athletes. I think Watson had the lowest ceiling of them all, but I think he was supposed to have the highest floor. That has not come to fruition. He is struggling mightily, only 206 batting average at high A. Watson only has seven home runs on the year, only 10 last year, and his strikeout rate is higher than I'd like. 68 strikeouts to 35 walks. I don't like that. I'm curious if he can develop or if it's just the Marlins system. I don't know. Um, curious before we move on, because I'm curious what you think of Khalil Watson. Do you think he can turn around and get back to the level of Marcelo Meyer or Jordan Lauer? Well, and it's interesting because this is this is the year-to-year -year question about the prep kid, right? Like Max Clark, 
you have um, Walker Jenkins, right? You have um, year before you have Drew Jones, you have Jackson Holiday. Like, well, in 2022, Jackson Holiday is looking at like probably one of the best prospects we've seen in the last decade in terms of floor. And Drew Jones looks like he might be bagging groceries at the local Piggly Wiggly. Um, it's just really interesting to watch how these prep players either develop or do not develop. And I, I still think it is too early to rule out Watson. But you talked about Meyer and you talked about Lawler, both players that were a little bit older and kind of got a knock for being a little bit older as the high school class. Watson being a little bit younger and still taking time to develop. So it, there's still time for him to bounce back, but he also got drafted to a system that does not develop hitters well. That's just the truth about Miami, right? There's this notion within the sport that Miami develops pitchers but can't develop hitters. That's the same thing in other organizations. Cleveland's one of them. I think he just got really unlucky also with the the location of his draft position and the organization. But strikeouts are a problem, and that's something that I don't know that he's going to be able to shake. Pop is okay. Seven home runs. Like At least he's still showcasing a little bit of power. But just looking back on this draft, Watson went 16th overall. Right underneath him, Matt McClain went. And we're seeing oh, the season really? <laughs> that McClain is having. And, and that's the, right, we just talked about it, prep versus college. And I, before we jumped on today, we were talking about, um, you know, Barry, who we're going to get to in just a minute here. And I had said to you how concerned I was because Barry came out of LSU as well last year as probably the safest college bat, and he's underperforming. Well, here we go looking at Watson's draft, and McClain got taken right underneath him. Um, you also have a few other names. Jordan Wicks, who we like a lot from Chicago, got taken 21st. Gavin Williams, 23. Um, and then you have Jackson Merrill, 27th, another prep bat who's starting to heat up. Um, just really interesting. I think Watson's more about organization. I wouldn't be surprised if the Marlins need to make a deal or want to make a splash. He might be out of town, and it might be best-case scenario for him. Um, kind of sell him before the stock completely tanks. Yeah, I agree. Let's move on to some other fallers. Last, so last get... thing, um, our boy okay. Sal Frelick. Fantastic debut. Oh, Drafted yes. one spot ahead of Cleo Watson. I like that. I like that. So a he's lot. sandwiched in between two college collegiate players. Interesting. Just uh, last note, but continue. My apologies. Yeah, no, you're good. Um, Dex Fulton, um, surprisingly, he is a pitcher who is struggling in the Miami Marlins system. He's got a 5.18 ERA, but that's not even the thing that I don't like about him. It's the 1.55 whip. He's walking 19 batters in 33 innings. I don't like that at all. He's at double A. He had an okay season last year when he moved up to double A last year. Fulton had a 2.57 ERA, but he did have a 4.07 ERA at high A last year. So I'm not really sure if they're tweaking with mechanics or looking to hone in on some secondaries, but I hope he can turn around. He is their number three overall prospect. He comes with a high pedigree. He was a second round draft pick in the COVID 2020 draft. And then moving down, Victor Mesa who is the younger brother of Victor Victor Mesa. They both defected from Cuba. Both were supposed to have, I don't, I don't know, maybe not superstar upside, but at least all-star upside. And it seems like neither of them are coming to fruition on that. Victor Mesa Jr. has a 55-grade hit tool, 45 power, but he's been struggling with a 238 batting average at AA this year. Only has nine home runs. I only say only because I thought he was going to have some power once he got older. I mean, he is still only 21. So he's right at the right age of where you want him to be being at double A. So I'm hoping he can turn around, but you never know with this Marlins 
Then moving down, we got Sixto Sanchez, and he's a pretty much a faller just because of injury. This kid can't stay healthy. I mean, he's still on the prospect um, list, but he debuted back in 2020. That's how long it's been since we've seen Sixto Sanchez. I'm just I, – I keep using this reference, but I keep thinking Brent Honeywell. Sixto Sanchez is the next Brent Honeywell, and he will only be pitching for one or two innings at a time the next time we see him in the majors. And we keep going down because they got a lot of fallers. And the next one is Jacob Berry. I'm trying to figure out where he is in their list. He used to be like their top three prospect, but it looks like he's fallen quite a bit. Oh, no, he is still their number two prospect. But he's betting 227, only four home runs. And the crazy thing is, is when he was drafted last year in 2022, sixth overall, he was supposed to be the safest pick coming out of, was it LSU or Florida, Matt? Uh, LSU. LSU. Yeah, so he was supposed to rake. I'm not saying he's supposed to rake at the level Dylan Cruz is supposed to rake, but when you get a player out of LSU, you're expecting good things, and I'm not seeing it out of Jacob Berry. Uh, yeah, and I'm very happy that you were able to preface the Victor Mesa um, spot here because I had his brother listed, and his brother is listed on our sheet as done, cooked 27 times up. And that's very true for me, at least. But um, I'm not yet ready to give up on Victor Mesa Jr. You were right, 21 years old, a little bit of power, a little bit of speed. They may still get an asset out of the Mesa brothers. And I, I'm glad that, you know, you kind of brought that to light um, because I, I wouldn't even have done my research on that. Uh, Sixo Sanchez, we'll see, man. I, I really hope for a resurgence. Um, I really hope we see him provide some value to this team. I think at this point, He's got to be a back-end reliever. I do not think you can continue to stretch him out and put strain on that shoulder with a starter's workload. Um, we'll see. You know, it, This is the JT Real Muto trade just completely blowing up in their faces. And what are you going to do? Sa Sixto Sanchez, when he was a Phillies prospect, was very highly touted, right? Even coming over, he had a lot of helium with him and got hurt almost immediately. And then kind of referencing Jacob Berry, you know, this was the conversation you and I were having before we jumped on tonight. I, I just said to you how concerning it is to have one of the highest floor players, highest college floor bats, and he's just hitting 227 with very low in power, four home runs. I think he did hit a home run either today or yesterday, though I did see that flash on my phone. Um, I'm worried about college hitters in general. Barry's performance doesn't help that. You know, we've seen Torkelson kind of start to heat up, but really didn't live up to the hype for what is now almost a year and a half. And I'm really interested to see how that affects Langford and how that affects Cruz. Obviously, we've talked at length about those two, but um, Barry does just concern me because he is coming from LSU. And then you you did mention how the whole system is just it's struggling that isn't in the pitching classification and that's it's just the truth Miami just does not develop hitters well I think Barry is another um, you know casualty of that last thing I wanted to mention before we move on Cleo Watson the last piece I will say about this is there's a player we're going to talk about a little bit later from now who's a riser and he was in the same draft class drafted six spots above Watson. And until about two months ago, we were going to be having the same conversation about that player until Ooh, he finally figured about. it out. So, you know, we got to be patient with some of these kids. I'm still being patient with Watson. The organization does not help his case, though. Um, okay, moving on, we're going to talk about the New York Mets, who may be adding assets, depending on if they make the right decision to trade some of their valuable veterans. Um, Richie, go ahead and kick it off. This is a player you actually just traded. Yeah, he's my boy, Ronnie Mauricio. We've talked about him on, on past podcasts, but 
You have on our notes, he's a poor man, Ellie De La Cruz. I fully agree with that. He has been mashing, batting 297. He's got 16 home runs, 15 stolen bases. He's cut down on his strikeout rate significantly. Just to put it in perspective, last year, he had 125 strikeouts to 24 walks. 125 to 24. This year alone, 21 stri- or 21 walks to 66 strikeouts. So he's only three walks short from what he did last year, and he's almost cut his strikeouts in half. And the reason why we haven't seen him up in the majors yet is because they want him more comfortable at second base and left field. Um, there was an injury to Luis Guillerme, and I can't remember which article I saw it pop up on my phone earlier today or yesterday. But pretty much he's done everything they could, the Mets could ask of Ronnie Mauricio. And it's pretty much just until he's defensively comfortable playing second base and outfield, will he get brought up. And I see, I think we see him as soon as the trade deadline is over. I think they get rid of Tommy Pham. I think they get rid of, um, I'm blanking on who's the other outfielder they Marte? have as per, is Canna. it Mar, is Mark Canna. It's Canna I'm thinking about. I think Ronnie Mauricio comes up and is moving around as like a super utility for the Mets as soon as both of them are gone. Moving on, for a team that spent big money on pitching, man, they've got some good pitchers down in their farm system. The first one is Mike Vassell. I think he made the Futures game this year, if I'm not mistaken. I think it was Um, – you might be right, but I think it was last year because it's been a few years that we've been excited kind of on this teeter-totter with Vassell. Um, I want to say it was this year. Keep talking. I'll look it up. Anyways, anyways, um, he started this year at Double A. Did pretty well. Three point seven one ERA, fifty seven strikeouts to only eight walks. So he's really honed in on his command. Love to see that. But he moved up to Triple A, and it seems like everything kind of fell off the wheels in twenty three and a third innings, fourteen walks, twenty seven strikeouts. So the K rate came down. His command went off the rails. I just not really sure he. I see four or five starting pitching upside with him. I don't, maybe if he blows people away, he could become number three, but I don't see ace potential in him. But if they move pieces away, I think he gets a call and I think he can be serviceable for the Mets down the stretch. Um, before we move on, Matt, did you look up if Mike Vassell was in the Futures game or yes. do you need some more time? Yes, 2023, you were right. Um, and they kind of like within looking that he has added a curve uh, there's a nice little seven-minute interview with him on um, SNY's you know broadcasting channel. So if you're interested in you know hearing about the curveball and his development on that, go check that out. I'll probably listen to that after we jump off tonight. But that's interesting, right? You're talking about a 23-year-old learning a new off-speed pitch, learning a new put-away pitch. That's something that could continue to aid this strikeout, this K rate. Um, you know, I, I like to see that he's more than a K per nine at AAA. I think that's already good. You're adding another. Uh, piece to the uh, arsenal with that curveball. So like Vassal, you know, again, like you said it, they got some guys that we're excited about and all they need is opportunity. Yeah, let's move on now to another pitcher that I'm very fond of, and that's Blade Tidwell or Tidewell. I always butcher it. He's at high A for the New York Mets. He's got a 3-2-9 ERA, but what I love is his strikeout upside, 107 strikeouts in 76 and two-thirds innings. He's got a great fastball, great slider, but he's got an okay change and an okay curve, decent command. If he can develop one of those 
two secondaries, that being the curve and changeup. I think we can see um, maybe three, possibly two upside out of Blade Tidewell. He's very young, 22 years old. He was a second-round draft pick in last year's draft. Again, he's at high A, so he's got some room to develop, but somebody I'm definitely interested in. Then moving on, Christian Scott, somebody who wasn't even on the radar for, I don't think anybody moving down. He's the 28th overall prospect for the New York Mets. He's having a nice season across three levels. He's got a 2.86 ERA, started at low A, moved his way up to double A. He's got an okay strikeout rate, pretty much just over a strikeout per inning on the year. He's got 76 strikeouts in 66 innings. And there's nothing really that strikes like in his pedigree that sticks out to you as like, why he should be doing what he's doing is grades he gets as a 50 on a fastball 55 slider change up only 40 control 50 so nothing too crazy he was a fifth round draft pick in 2021 so i don't know if he's developed a new pitch i'll have to look more into that but you can't deny the results and then lastly matt you have jeffrey rosa here 18 year old dominican summer league got a great strikeout at 18k percent and, but he's got a 4-3-1 ISO, so anything over 200, you love to see that. Nine home runs and a 278 batting average. So I'll let you talk a little bit more about Rosa. Yeah, I mean, Rosa is jumping off the page. You and I have been using a, uh, a tracker to kind of monitor DSL, complex league. I was doing my weekly due diligence. I probably check the tracker every three or four days. Um, and Rosa just jumped off the page last night when I was looking at him. I mean, you talked about the K rate is absolutely where we want to see it. Um, age to level is good at 18 in the DSL. You know, I would imagine sooner than later they're going to be bringing him stateside. 19 home runs, so that in itself, or excuse me, nine home runs, that in itself is just showing you the power ability. And then the ISO is also a representation of that power. Small sample size, right? We talk about DSL. These are more names to monitor as they move forward. He is only hitting 278. So I think a lot like Sebastian Walcott's numbers this year, who is already stateside, this is just something for us to say, okay, he's got the power. If he's at bat, really what he's doing is he's hitting a home run, he's hitting a double, or he's getting out. Uh, but Rosa, definitely a guy for the Mets that I think is probably the most exciting DSL player possibly in the NL East right now, just based off pure numbers that we've been looking at so far. Uh, but, you know, the pitching is big. I would expect between Vassal, uh, Tidewell, and Scott, one of these players is probably in the rotation or at least – aiding the Mets at the end of this season to see what they have. I would also expect two of the three to possibly be trade bait going into next season or possibly midseason because I do expect the Mets to be competitive next year, at least trying to put together a competitive team again. Um, but exciting to see the depth, and I think we may see more depth hit this organization, as we talked about, if they're able to move some of these players. But you have players in AAA, AA, and then you have the DSL. So there's depth and there's layering within the Mets organization. And that's probably the first organization that we've seen in the NL East that we can say that about. Yeah, if there is one pitcher that's coming up, it's definitely going to be Mike Vassell starting the Futures game already at AAA where the other guys are still at AA and high A. So I think he gets the first crack. Um, I don't think Tidewell has any shot of coming up this year, maybe not even next year. I think he's more a 2025 guy. And then Christian Scott, if he keeps it up, yeah, maybe he does crack the rotation this year. But let's go to some fallers now. And the first-round pick in last year's draft for the New York Mets at 14th overall was Jet Williams' prep guy. Um, I don't have the school he went to, but he was known for his hit tool and his 
defense, but so far his hit tool has not shown up in the two seasons. Batting 248 this year at low A and rookie ball last year, he only batted 250. Not really known for his power. He only has five home runs this year compared to one last year. So don't really expect much out of that. I do like that he's patient at the plate, 66 walks to 70 strikeouts. So we mentioned it earlier. He's still young, just like a lot of these other guys. Somebody we're going to talk about in the Nationals organization who has risen his stock when we were about to write him off. I don't want to write it off Jet Williams just quite yet, but man, he is falling for me and he's falling fast. And then the next one is Alex Ramirez, the number four overall prospect for the New York Mets. Ramirez is currently at high A, but he's only betting 234 with five home runs. Don't like to see that. He was known to have power coming out of that international signing of 2019. Ramirez is only 20, so I want to give him a, a pass here, more or less. So I still think the sky's the limit for Alex Ramirez, but I need to see more out of him. Yeah, and I just want to talk about Jet real quick. Um, I wanted to slap a comp on him and, until I looked a little bit deeper at his numbers. The really exciting piece for Jet is the on-base percentage. His on-base percentage to this year is 426. That's incredible. Um, you know, He's finding a way to get on base, and with that, he has the ability with 31 stolen bases to be productive. His OPS, because of that on-base percentage, sits at an 823, which isn't bad. The real concern for me is size. He is listed on MILB.com at 5'6". So we're talking about a very short-statured um, you know, shortstop. He's going to be a second baseman. I think that's probably what's, the future. What's with you and the short guys? Um, you know, short guys, let's, huh? just, let's just say, yeah. Richard, I think you are Show a, a perfect size. Guys. And um, if I were to build an athlete, if I were to go any shorter... I may concern myself a little, but um, back to the bones here. I, I have some things within his profile I like. The problem is he has 70 strikeouts this season. I wanted to go out and throw a Nick Madrigal comp on him, but Madrigal just never struck out that much and made great contact, had a good average at all times. So Jet, will, Jet has the opportunity to be at least an on-base guy, add a little bit of speed to that. Again, he's young. We will reassess this assessment next year and see if there's any improvement in that batting average. Yeah, I like that. Give him a little more time. Let's move on to the Phillies now. And uh, I'm excited here because there's a couple pitchers on this list that I, I think we're really going to highlight. And we have one faller, one riser. And first one is going to be a um, ownership by one of our good friends. And is having a very good season coming off a 10 strikeout outing this past week, what was absolutely dominant. So, Richie, why don't you go ahead and kick us off with Griff? Yeah, the funny thing is, is, the last three starts, I want to say, I've been taking screenshots of Twitter and sending it to him, and I became interested <laughs> in him. ESPN, he goes, what's your deal with Griff? Uh, well, anyways, first of all, the the number one riser for the Phillies is Griff McGarry. He's a double-A pitcher. Um, he was their fifth-round draft pick in 2021. Electric fastball, gets a 70 grade. Gets above-average grades on his curveball, slider, and changeup all at 55. Controls a little bit below at 40, but... Man, his results have been there. 63 strikeouts and 46 and two-thirds innings across single A and double A. But like you said, he's been on fire lately. So the last two games, or last game, seven innings, only three hits, no walks, no earned run, 10 strikeouts. The one before that, six innings, five hits, one earned run, two walks, nine strikeouts. I think that was the one where I became interested in. I uh, was talking to the owner who picked him up in our dynasty league, and I gave him props because he picked him up 
I want to say last, last year, year kept yeah. him before he did anything of note because last year he had a three seven one ERA, but like nothing really stuck out. Like yeah, he had a good strikeout rate overall, one hundred and thirty strikeouts in eighty seven and a third. But like by the end of the year, there was like Painter still out there. There were so many other guys. So like I give him props for finding that. Let's move on now. The second one, Justin Crawford, love him. He was at. Um, the futures game, loved what I saw. His swing is beautiful. Betting 333 in single A or low A, I want to say. Only one home run, but he's not known to be a home run guy. He's more contact and stolen bases. He's got 37 on the year. He was a 17th overall draft pick in last year's draft. Um, I didn't think of a comp for him, but. His father. Yeah. Didn't his father have more um, power, though? Yeah, I mean, he did, but he's 19. You know, like, yeah. his father came up with, like, almost an identical profile and kind of developed into the power. Um, Carl Crawford reminds me, actually, a lot of Corbin Carroll. Um, similar swing like types that. where they, like, you know, like they use all of their body's momentum to really leverage the ball. And, um, dude, Justin, I texted you about him right before we jumped on. And I was like, I, I haven't looked into Justin's numbers this year, but to bat 333, like, you're already ahead of everybody else. The kid that I've referenced, and you continue to help me with the name that the Orioles took this year, is it Battenfield? Bradfield. Enrique yep, Bradfield. there we go. Bradfield. Got it wrong third time in a row. Um, <laughs> I, I think this is this is what we're hoping for from Bradfield, right? Like, hit the ground. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely yeah. running where you're like, okay, projectability. He's going to be a starter. He'll be a top of the lineup hitter, uh, guaranteed speed, probably good defense. And Justin Crawford, 19% K rate. Like, we don't even have a K percentage that we're concerned about. Only thing I have on here is 18 walks. I would like to see that uptick a little bit so we can leverage the speed. Uh, but yeah, dude, very excited about Justin Crawford. Yeah, if you play in categories, this is definitely somebody you need to keep an eye on. Uh, and then the last um, riser we have is the number nine overall prospect for the Phillies, according to MLB Baseball, and that is. Carlos De La Cruz, pretty much if your last name is De La Cruz, you're going to be a superstar. All jokes aside, though, he has been pretty well. He was a 2017 international signee. He's 23, only a double A. So that's the one knock I'll give Carlos De La Cruz. But he is batting 280, has 18 home runs, only two stolen bases. I don't like the walk to strikeout rate, but he's somebody who's popped up on my radar just because he's kind of breaking out a little bit and also the Phillies farm system isn't as deep as you think it is like and once you get past their top five there's not really that much to talk about so Carlos de la Cruz is somebody I like but not somebody I'm overly excited about I'm curious what your thoughts are on him yeah no just the, a name that popped up earlier in the season for both of us um, I think I had sent him to you and our, and our buddy in our group chat and it was around the time that Ellie was you know arriving and 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 doing Ellie things and obviously having the same last name it was like oh look at this guy his numbers are nice I mean Carlos is 6'8 he's got the high leverage there's going to be strikeouts in the game um you know age to level he's a little bit older we'd like to see him in AAA I'd say the same thing for Griff like it's time for a AAA promotion really see what you're doing at the next level um but again 18 home runs 280 like numbers you can get excited about this might be a fourth outfielder this might be trade bait and, and as you said, with the Phillies' overall um, minor league system, like we're really leveraging the arms. And we have two more we're going to talk about here in a minute. But as of right now, they just don't have the hitters. And I, I think that's why we were so excited about their first-round pick, their prep 
uh, choice in the draft is because they need to you know, invigorate some offensive talent into this minor league system to really aid some of the veterans that they have at the major level. Yeah, I completely agree. Let's move on to some fallers, though. I hate to be right. It's just one of those things that being Andrew Painter, getting Tommy John surgery, you know, he had the elbow discomfort. Um, I think they said a slight tear in his UCL. And right then and there, I was like, he needs Tommy John. And they were going to play it safe, let him heal. And I was just like, he needs Tommy John. That's one of the reasons why I sold him in our dynasty league, moved him before the season even started because I knew exactly where this was headed. Now he's recommended to get Tommy John. So now not only is he missing all of this year, he's now completely out for all of 2024. And the earliest we can even see him is 2025. And I think they're going to play it safe with him and just put him at double A. So realistically, I don't think we see Andrew Painter until 2026. And that's assuming he has a full recovery. But man, he was a stud drafted 13th overall in 2021. Electric fastball, electric slider above average change in curve, but his control was just phenomenal. I had an eye on him, but not really, I don't really pay attention to prep pitchers until they're like 21 or older and they make it to double A. But man, when he was 19 and just jumping off, it was one of those, you had to, had to jump on it, but just a disappointing story, man. I'm so heartbroken for him. And then the other faller is his running mate, and that was Micah Bell. Now, we've had a, a discussion on Micah Bell. I think it was just last podcast, so I won't go too far in depth, but you know my concerns. I was expecting Micah Bell to ascend all the way to the majors this year, and he's currently only at AA. He hasn't even moved up to AAA. You do like the strikeout rate. I don't like his ERA and what he's done recently. Since we've last talked, I'm trying to see what he's done to see if he's improved. So, yeah, last outing, five innings. Three walks, three strikeouts, only two hits, no earned runs. So that's not terrible. Um, yeah, I just, he's a faller for me just because he hasn't, he hasn't answered the call of the Phillies. They were lacking a fourth and fifth rotational spot. Still kind of are. Um, they could definitely use this help. I was hoping he would make that ascension for the Philadelphia Phillies. Yeah, I mean, we know, as you said, we don't need to go too deep into um, a bell. I'm on the opposite end of the spectrum here. You know, I we talked about that last week. I think at 21 years old, when we're praising uh, Griff at 24 for having good command and you know having all of these attributes, it's three years older than um, than Mick. Like that's where that's where my kind of flag is being um, cemented into the sand. No, that's I, fair. I want to see some more development. And at 21 years old, I think why we're listing him as a faller is because. At least for me, over the last couple of years, I had him above Painter. I had been monitoring a bell a little bit more. I, I thought he was going to be the guy to be a number two rotational piece. Painter obviously ascends, passes him as possibly a top ten pitcher in baseball prospect level. You know, everyone's excited about him. A bell gets forgotten about, comes out to start the season, actually performs pretty well to start the season, but the walks are the problem. Uh, walks in command is the concern. Also, fastball shape was talked about a lot at the future game for um, for Bell and. He, there's time to change those things. But again, at 21 years old, we need to see development. Um, so falling because I think there were high expectations. And he just, as you said, has not taken the opportunity. So like the strikeouts, uh, I like the profile. I think what we see from, from Mickabel is probably a better version of Quinn Priester. Um, higher velocity, 
but better pitches overall. But when you talk about Quinn Priester, the big concern is he has a bad major league fastball. That's what the profile has indicated. Abel has the velocity, doesn't necessarily have the shape. I think he can figure out how to make that work at the pro level to at least be a major league three. Um, from a fantasy perspective, though, I think this also might be a guy that takes two or three years at the pro level, kind of like a Mackenzie Gore, where he really needs to understand the league. He battles with that control. So every inning, the workload is a little bit more challenging on him and then finally starts to take to being a fantasy asset. So Dynasty Leagues, I hold him right now. Uh, if he does start to show the command, you're, you're talking about definitely a buy low candidate. Um, but I think the Futures games definitely dampered his overall stock. Yeah, I would agree there. Give him some time. All right, Richie, we have our last NL East team. Um, probably, uh, I'd say they're probably third. No, they're probably second in terms of prospect rankings. Uh, that's the Washington Nationals. And our risers are exciting. We have two big names, uh, one potential superstar listed here, and then we have a very, very big faller that we will get to as well. Did you say second you'd rank them? I think I'd rank them. <sighs> I'm going to have to challenge you on that because I don't think anybody's coming close to the Reds and the Orioles right now. NL, NL, uh, NL East, second. Oh, NL East. It's okay. NL East. I'm, I'm fighting between them and the Phillies because you have a bell and you have um, a McGrary, like, and painter so it's really hard but like when you're talking about a superstar potential player i don't think we've said that yet also justin cross uh they're three justin crawford you also I think. Think they, we don't even have dylan cruz in our rundown either yeah i still think i'm taking the phillies for the pitching depth um because really like i i'm not excited about any of the nationals pitchers um you know we got a kid in here that's young I think was also included in the Juan Soto trade. You'll have to help me with that. The Susana, yeah, the Susana, Susana and yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're talking about Cruz and Wood as as two potential superstars. Oh, and yeah, the Nationals needed to get Paul Skeens in this draft. Yeah, so uh, I can't imagine how devastated they were when he didn't fall. I to mean, them. Yeah, boohoo! You get the second best player, maybe yeah. best since Bryce Harper. You know, like, and I don't even think they were supposed to get second overall with the lottery, right? I don't know. Are they supposed to get? Like, I love the lottery, I, but it's. It was supposed to be Tigers and, or it was supposed to be A's number one and yeah. Tigers two. Tigers ended up with three, right? Yeah. Yeah. And the A's got six. So I love the lottery system, but they got they got they got host, and the oh, Nationals absolutely. got absolutely blessed. Yeah. Do you know when the next lottery is for next year's draft? I'm pretty sure. Um, I and I'm only going that. off reference points from the show because I play the show. It's in the off season, if I'm correct. Um, you can look that up, but while you look that up, I will talk about our first riser. And uh, yeah, why, we, don't you, why don't you go through them? We alluded to this you're... name. <laughs> I'm excited. <laughs> uh, we alluded to this name earlier in the show, and that is Brady House. Uh, Brady House coming into 2023, I was out on. Uh, I thought he was a bust. I thought they had wasted the 11th overall pick in 2021. Numbers just didn't look good. He looked overmatched. He just he didn't look like a prep player that was going to work out. Lo and behold, April passes. I'm still banging the same drum. And here we are kind of coming towards the end of July. And Brady House has had a double-A promotion. He's batting 301 across the 2023 season. Nine home runs, eight stolen bases. But the big like news on Brady House is the show he put together uh, at the Futures game, which was a prodigious showcase of power in the, in the batting practice round. Uh, people were raving about his, you know, not in-game power, but the raw power that he was showing. I think we're starting to see some of that exit velocity showcase in his game this season. 
And he's absolutely one of my highest risers on the season because I think what we're going to see over the next year is significant rise in his prospect pedigree. Starting to talk about him as maybe one of the best players in baseball. And, you know, that's paired with, as we just mentioned, Dylan Cruz and then the next player on this list for us, which is James Wood. Wood, not necessarily the same kind of rising season, only batting 251. 15 home runs and has absolutely shown the prodigious raw power and in-game power that we wanted to see coming into this season. 13 stolen bases, so is there is a little bit of speed there. 37% K rate at AA does seem overmatched. That's really where the numbers um, allude to with the 251. After the promotion, the power has been there, but everything else has been suppressed. And I think ultimately Wood's going to take a little bit of time to develop at AA and then ultimately go up to AAA. But you know, kind of hold the excitement a little bit until we start to see that turnaround at AA. And then, Richie, I'm going to let you go ahead and talk about number three because I did not know who this was until you listed him on our breakdown. Yeah, Jarlin Susana. Wow, totally butchering it. But actually, before I get into him, I couldn't find the date for the 2024 uh, draft lottery, but last year for the 2023, the lottery occurred on December 6, 2022. So I would assume it's going to be in the offseason, like you said, in December, but that does give us a little bit of uh, a baseball um, fix for us who like to go in fantasy um baseball depression if you will um because we just are in the grind literally from pretty much march until october just embedded in baseball and then it just goes away just like that and then we have some football that you know you know gets it going for us until december but then yeah there's nothing from like december to march anyways i'm going on a tangent here well and i was going to say you know we we've done a We've done a fantastic job this season in, in keeping up and keeping relevant with doing our weekly show. And like, you know, we've, I've talked multiple times and, you know, we've talked like my hope is this offseason we can continue the show and, and really start to dive into these lists over again after we have full seasons and talking about the Arizona Fall League um, and then, you know, kind of forecasting into the college season because, you know, we have this draft and let's just or this draft lottery and say December. Right. If you were to look back just a year. I think um, the lauder, right? We're talking about, oh my gosh, like how lucky is Washington, is Pittsburgh? Like they get oh, the lauder, you mean? Yes, don't sorry, don't lander. Um, and and here we are, right? A year, eight months later, and it's Skeens and it's Cruz who you know took those spots. Um, and so as we continue to break down and go into the college season and into the off season, like. There will be movers and fallers, and it is exciting to forecast what could be and then to watch it unfold in a different way. Yeah, so let's move on now to Jarlin Susana, who I was actually keeping an eye on back when he was on the Padres. He was somebody I was monitoring. He rose from two different levels of rookie ball all the way to – actually, no, I think he was just in rookie ball before the trade, and then he moved to single A once he – moved over to the nationals but i really liked what i saw out of him with the strikeout rate he has a a fantastic fastball grades 75 out of 80. so this is the main reason why he popped up he was signed in the 2022 international at only 17 years old so this kid is 19 and i want to say he hits triple digits consistently he sits around 98 99 six foot six so he's got the um he's got the frame got the size my concern is does he end up in the bullpen because his curveball changeup are horrible he's got an above average slider at 60. Um, i want to see how he develops overall but he is definitely reliever risk but if he becomes a closer i think this is like 
the next Felix Bautista. Yeah, the next Felix Bautista. Who had a fantastic week, by the way. Good lord. Oh, yeah. So, I, I realistically, I see him moving into a high leverage um, bullpen role for him. But, like, man, he is filthy. The strikeouts this year don't really show for it. 56 strikeouts in 54 and two-thirds inning, 3-4-6 ERA. I haven't really paid attention to how his delivery looks, so I'm not quite sure if it's, like, one of those that has high strain and he can't manage a high workload. But definitely somebody to keep an eye on maybe he's a starter but i don't really see it yeah and what a haul you know to be able to pull in james woods um james wood Susanna. we're going to talk about robert hassel here in a little bit who you know is a faller for us but not completely out on um for juan soto and you're talking about pieces that are going to help rebuild this organization and even if you have Susanna as that you know high leverage reliever we're seeing firsthand from uh, this season high leverage relievers at a younger age. Bautista was just mentioned, Cano, uh, Duran. You know, like they're an immediate impact, especially on teams fighting for contention. You have to have that that fire, man. And if Susana ends up being that guy, it's just an asset that you're going to be able to leverage at the end of games. I, I don't have a problem with it anymore. You know, and I let's, think Josh Hader really kind of paved that way. Let's let's recap. So. The Padres got Juan Soto and Josh Bell from the Nationals. This is what the Nationals got. Mackenzie Gore, been phenomenal so far this year. Maybe not to the expectations that you want him at, but overall pretty solid. Robert Hassel, who, spoiler alert, is one of our fallers. CJ Abrams, who is quietly having a breakout this year. James Wood, who, what, the number two, three, top five prospect, depending on which list you look at. And Jarlin Susana. So, like... (laughs) What a haul. I mean, that's nuts. We knew this, though, right? Like, other than Susanna, you 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 were on him before I was, as I but mentioned. Like, it, it, at the time, James Wood wasn't a top five. He was, like, he was sitting at, like, the 50 to 100 range no, on most lists. No, but, but we were excited about him, right? I had picked him up. Um, yeah, but you, you, I don't know, you had some inside track, but, like, I did not expect Wood to have this type of ascension. He was showing... He was showing great power. If we think it was at A ball or high A, he's showing great power, good speed, had a nice average and low strikeouts, if I remember correctly. And I was like, okay, this kid's six six. Like he's got it. Like if he's doing this right now, he's gonna be a top tier prospect. Okay, so I, I loved him. I was like, okay, you're in he had some speed. Uh Hassel at the time was South Relic with more power, right? Like you were talking about a really high contact guy, great floor. Um, Gore. Just command issues, and still command issues. But you're talking about a high-end strikeout pitcher that's a lefty. How many times do we talk on the show about wait till they're 26, wait till they're 27? Like, Gore is the perfect profile of a guy that at 26, 27, I think can be a Cy Young winner. Now, that's just the profile we've built, right? Like, it's all off just the the logic and the data we've passed. But I think the name you mentioned was C.J. Abrams. Like, absolutely quietly having a, a, a solid year and. You texted me just the other day, and you were you were amazed that the the um, owner in our league had drafted him and kept him this long. And I was like, yeah, like if I had his roster, I would do the same thing. And and like he's being rewarded for that. Absolutely, yeah. But again, like trades like this, they almost never go this way. It was just the perfect storm where everyone on this list last year I was like, shouldn't have traded him, shouldn't have traded him, shouldn't have traded him. Like they gave up probably most of the prospects that were going to hit in their organization, and it, it's truly an incredible haul for Washington. And I genuinely thought when they made this deal, and I think today, this is going to cornerstone the next rebirth of competitive baseball in DC. Yeah. It's 
going to be interesting what Otani hauls if he gets traded. God, it's it, it's not going to be this. <laughs> like, no, I don't this, think so This is going to go down as like the Herschel Walker trade. It, it, it has to. Yeah, but like they got they got all of last. Well, they got the last two months of one soda. They got all this year and next year. So it's not like you didn't give it up for a rental. Like, I mean, technically it's a rental, but two and a half years is not nothing. You know? No, I agree with you. I know. I, I, I still think, and I will, I think I will always look back as like, you're right. You know what I mean? Like they, they had their shot. Um, it just hasn't worked out. You know, we had that conversation about fantasy baseball and, and roster construction in our own right. Like sometimes it just doesn't work out. All right. So enough about the trade. Let's transition. We have our final fallers for the Nationals here. Um, and I'm going to start it off and I'm going to kind of let you rip through these. Elijah Green, number one. Uh, this was the fifth overall pick just last year in 2022's draft. He's at single A, batting 218, three home runs, 22 stolen bases. So a little bit of speed. Uh, known for high raw power. That was the big grade. You're talking about a very low floor, very high ceiling playing, uh, high, high ceiling playing player. Richie, the problem is 50% strikeout rate this season. I ran the numbers before we jumped on tonight. I wanted to do just a quick look over, and I was shocked when I saw his strikeout rate. 50% K rate. I'm, I'm astonished. I don't want to write Elijah Green off, but I don't know if I've ever seen numbers this bad. No, absolutely not. And this is crazy because he went fifth overall, but he was in talks to be one of the first overall. One of the prep guys with Jackson Holiday, with Drew Jones. I think he was the finalist or like, I think he actually maybe won the home run derby for high school. I think he was going up against Drew Jones. Could be wrong on that. So don't quote me on that. But I mean, the pedigree was there and he has not delivered on it whatsoever. I mean, the power and the speed, 70-grade run, 60-grade power, those are numbers that you see, like, I mean, I don't want to say he's the next Ellie De La Cruz, but, like, something similar. But Ellie never had a strikeout rate this bad. And that was the biggest concern coming out of Elijah Green in that draft was that's what everybody was afraid of. But when he slipped to number five, that draft wasn't the greatest last year. So um, makes sense. He's still got time to develop. It's only in his first full year. But, man, that is that is concerning. Um, don't like that at all. Well, and and I don't have numbers here in front of us. You know, we, we are more of a uh, mom and pop show. But I have heard on other telecasts that the real big concern for Elijah Green is his in-zone contact. It's supposedly horrendous. And those of you that, you know, may not know what in-zone contact is, it's basically pitches within the strike zone that you swing at. He misses them. Um, Christopher Morrell for the Cubs has that problem at the major league level, which is why at times he can be so volatile, right? At times he can be absolutely mashing and at times he can look like a player that shouldn't be in the big leagues. It's because his in zone contact is also poor at the major league level. Supposedly Elijah green, when the ball's in, in the zone he, and he swings, he just misses it. And that is very, very concerning because that's not necessarily something that you can just flip a switch and fix. It's a lot about mechanics. It's a lot about approach. It's really retooling the player you're talking about retooling the fifth overall pick. Definitely not something you want to talk about, but if they're going to fix him, they need to do it fast. Again, he's still young. Yeah. Sorry to backtrack, but I did just get news that the Marlins are promoting Troy Johnson and Pat Monteverde to AAA today. 
There we go. So there we go. Our two risers are going to move to AAA. Let's go. I mean, listen, 26 years old. It's about time. Let's give him a little round of applause there. You know, he uh, he deserved it. And um, it's funny. When we were talking about Troy, I wanted to throw a comp on him. Like, I always like to throw comps on players. But uh, he gave me a little bit of a Yastrzemski vibe. You know, a little bit older. You know, might make an impact. Might even be a starter or a fourth outfielder. Um, and Yastrzemski had a little speed, had a little bit of power. And age to, to level based off promotion, I, I think we could be talking about him as a guy that's a late bloomer for sure. Yeah, I, I agree. All right, let's get back to the faller. Sorry to, to distract you. How dare you? Yeah, how dare I? <laughs> so the second one, were you all done on green or? You got yeah, I talk? mean, what, okay. what else is there to say about the 50% strike? Card? Okay. The number two faller for me is Christian Vaccaro. And he's not having a terrible season, 284 at rookie ball. He's got zero home runs. That's the thing I don't like. Ten stolen bases, okay. Average good. But when you're the best international signing in sometime last year, signed for five million one hundred and seventy nine thousand, the biggest signing, um, I don't know if it's a date, but it was by far the biggest national signing. And he hasn't produced like the superstar that he was signed to be. Like when Christian Vaquero was signed I was thinking, okay, we got the next Juan Soto, we got the next Ronald Acuna, here we go. And then he had a poor outing to finish out 2022 at the Dominican Summer League, only batted 256 last year, and Vaccaro only had one home run. I don't like that. He's got the speed, 17 stolen bases last year. The average is okay, but like, you were hoping for the full package. You were going to get the hit, you were going to get the power, you were going to get the speed, you were going to get the five-tool stud, and he has not shown that. And off air before we started you took a look at the last 10 or so international signings classes and just looked at see and see how many of them hit and you were surprised so i'm just hoping you could tell the listeners what you saw yeah i kind of dove into uh like top 30 40 50 on pipeline over the last 10 years i genuinely wanted to just see without really doing any data tracking like who hit who didn't hit you know some of the names that may have caught my eye um, you know, signing bonuses, how much teams were giving out. And it was, it was very surprising to see that in, in the best class, you had four or five big leaguers, you know, maybe three all-stars in that best class. You had other classes where not a single player had any major league relevance. And I, I pulled up Ellie De La Cruz here real quick because I want to reference his numbers. Um, and, and Ellie is the perfect example because when you think about him, he kind of burst onto the scene. You look at his 2019, he was with Cincinnati, uh, league it has FRK, so I'm assuming this is still when rookie ball was was a thing before Complex and, and DSL really took hold. Um, 2019, 43 games. He had 186 plate appearances, 165 total at-bats, 11 doubles, one home run, 45 strikeouts. Again, 43 games, one home run, 45 strikeouts, batted 285, three stolen bases, six caught stealings. This was age to level 17. So the reason I bring him up is we're talking about Vaccaro here. It is still too early to write these kids off, but you have to monitor, right? Vaccaro could easily be one of the guys that we just mentioned where 10 years from now, five years from now, we remember, oh, what a bust, you know, $4.9 million signing bonus to come over internationally, almost their entire slot allocation for one player. But also, Ellie also started off slow. So just because... But I will say this, Ellie in his second year at least moved to double A and got up from rookie ball and had the power, had eight home runs, whereas Vaquero has 
Was it zero well, or one? I don't have it up. Just just so, to defend him, right? 2019, he's 17 at rookie. 2020, he misses because of COVID. 2021, he's slotted at A ball and rookie. So technically, this is his, at least third year in pro ball. His fourth. Okay, that's fair. His fourth pro. That. That's okay. I mean, COVID messed everything up, but it took Ellie four years to hit uh, high A and double A, where he hit 28 home runs, which is where you know I picked him up and saw some of the great numbers and blah 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 blah. But up until 2022, you're not even thinking of Ellie De La Cruz, right? And Ellie was not Vaquero. He was not a $4.9 million slot allocation. He was a lower tier Dominican player that, you know, people just kind of didn't think about. But point is, that's why I think it's so important to check these lists out and, and to monitor, right? We, we talked about the kid for the Mets a little bit earlier, like playing very well. I would not be surprised for Vaquero in four years to be in the pros and for the kid for the Mets to just be completely out of baseball. But what we're doing is monitoring their numbers now, and, and you're not wrong. To have very little power output, it is concerning. That's fair. Yeah. I, like you say, I got to give them a little more patience and uh, can't expect somebody to have a, a Juan Soto or Ronald Acuna-like ascension. Listen, I, I equate patience to Tua. You know, people just absolutely bashed him in football for two, three years, and I said, the kid is a child still, and, you know, here he is in his wheelchair throwing touchdowns. So... You know, give him give him the uh, the best <laughs> helmet possible and throw him out there. But no, patience Jesus. is important. <laughs> <laughs> All right, the, the, we got two left. So Cade Gavali is a faller. Um, simple. He's recovering from Tommy John. Only reason is his injury. That's the reason why he's falling. And then lastly, we forecast or foreshadowed, I should say, and that's Robert Hassel not really producing at Double A, batting two twenty six, only four home runs. 10 stolen bases, so I would I kind of was hoping to get a little bit more out of Robert Hassel, but you can't really um, blame the guy. He's only 21 years old at AA, so still love the potential for Robert Hassel, but he's a faller nonetheless. Yeah, and, uh, you know, we still like Hassel. I, I, I think there's uh, opportunity for him to be a good player. And the last name that I want to actually toss in our risers, you went and, and tossed a college name in here that was just drafted. Uh, this is a player that you actually sent to me, so you knew about him before I did. You were really excited about him. This is a third-round draft posi- uh, pick, and I'm going to butcher the name, Richie, so help me out. Travis Sikora, right-handed pitcher that was committed to Texas, high school prep arm, uh, 71st overall. You loved his grades coming to the draft. You thought he was a steal in, in the third round. Um, he would be a riser in the organization. Any, any thoughts on him before we move on? Yeah, I didn't think he was going to sign. Um, I think he was drafted. I don't have any of that. You caught me off guard, but I don't have any of that up. But, like, yeah, I think he was drafted, what did you say, 71st overall? But he was the number 40th overall projected player and out of pitchers. I think he was in the top 10. Now, granted, this was a very weak pitching class. It was pretty much um, – oh, I'm trying to think now. You had Skeens, you had Dolander, you had Noble Rhett Lauder, and Waldrip were the four college guys. And then you had the high school guys, Noble Meyer and Thomas White were the two big ones, um, both going to Miami Marlins. After that, nobody talked or even mentions anybody outside of those, I think it's top six. And we for had me, the been... kid for the uh, twins too, but I forget his name. Soto. Uh, yeah. Um, Charlie Soto. Yeah. Um, and Travis Sikora for me were like the seven, eight out of this, out of this, this draft class. And so when he fell, um, I was, I was like, okay, he's going to go to college. Like 
forget about it. And then you told me out of the blue that he signed. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. So um curious to see what he does. I'll definitely be monitoring. He's definitely a ways away. Um, I don't think we see him for a I while. I mean, dude. He's, what, they, 17, 18? <laughs> they gave him $2.6 million in the third round. Like, uh, how do you how do you say no to that, right? As an no. arm, I mean, Texas no. commit, like, you know, you're banking on yourself and hopefully you get drafted a couple of years from now. I don't know age to level if you'd have been a sophomore eligible or, or junior eligible. But, um, I mean, think about this rotation, right? You're talking about Gore, Cavalli, um, Sikora. Like, you're talking about some pretty good arms mixed with House and Wood and Dylan Cruz. Like, this, this is looking like a 2026, 2027 contending team as the Braves get a little bit older, as the Mets implode, as the Phillies are aging, I, I think their rebuild is going to happen at the perfect time. Yeah, so I pulled up his his scouting report. Sits 95 to 98, but he has been known to touch 101. So you know, if you can throw 100, you're going to be on Richie's love list. Um, <laughs> but he's got a good splitter, um, comes in at 60, good slider, 55, okay control at 50. So... He's got the makings to be developed. He's got the pieces to to become a stud. It's a matter of how he progresses and how the Nationals develop him. So, um, you know, he's 6'6", 232, so he's got a big frame, perfect to be a pitcher. So he's got all the right ingredients to do something. Yes, and for those uh, in our fantasy league, just know I will be checking the waiver wire every single day and picking him up as soon as he hits. Oh, my God. Uh, no, just kidding. He is far too um, far too far away. Who and is he's that not, one? He's not in our player pool yet. Uh, Carson Wisenhunt. That's the one. That's yeah, the one. I got burned on that one, didn't I? Well, it would be nice yeah. if he could pitch more than four innings before being pulled. Clearly, they know something that uh, may be of concern. But I think that's all we have today. Do you have anything else before we uh, go ahead and uh, say goodbye? No, I was just looking at the the draft, and there's some guys that are already playing a rookie in A ball. Um, Grant Taylor, right-handed pitcher, was drafted by the White Sox. He's at rookie ball. Chase Davis is, I think, in pitched. complex. Uh, hold on, let me pull up Chase Davis. Oh uh, no, that's. Yeah, well, Chase and, Davis is at A ball. Okay, nice. Nice He's placement. Three games, betting 200, but only three games. Nolan Chennault, I totally butcher that, by yeah. the Angels. Angels first base. Yeah, I, I heard he's on the fast track just because the Angels need people. Like <laughs> Zach he's Nettle. starting at first base September 1st. It could be, you never know. <laughs> but, I mean, he's only had two games, but batting 333. Call him up. I mean, right now two for two for six <laughs> yeah you're, you're, you're getting called yeah, up. get him up here we we need um, something to keep O'Donnie here yeah uh homer bush um but for the padres he's at rookie ball do you remember Three. his father I, I i know the name i don't remember his father okay um yeah those are all the notable ones albert rios isn't rookie ball now we're going real deep where I'm starting to not know names in like the 200s. So anyways, um, yeah, we're going off on a tangent here now. But anyways. Yeah, well, you know, we will have more for that the rest of the season as as we, we have one more um, divisional breakdown, which, you know, we've waited as long as we can to talk about the Orioles. Um, guy can't, can't delay forever. So we're going to talk about <laughs> trade, trade breakdowns next week. 
you know, we're going to continue to push the Orioles in the AL East as far back as we can because we are projecting that to be a big change. Um, and if Orioles players are traded, you know, if they were risers, we'll probably still talk about them as they touch their new organizations. But look for the... Please tra- no Kobe Mayo. Yeah. Actually, I'm happy if they trade Kobe Mayo. I'm terrified of that left field porch. That's fair. Um, you know, Heston Kerstead, too, possibly being moved. Connor um, Norby is Connor for Norby. sure Norby. Uh, you know, they're definitely trading Allie Rutschman, Gunnar Henderson. They are gone. Just write them off. They're they're headed to Kansas City. Get out uh, of here. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that is all we have for you today. Look for us in a couple of weeks. We are probably going to have uh, no show next week because, again, we are in New York. And we'll have a big episode for you, possibly do a two-parter since we will be catching you up on a lot. But, again, thank you for listening, and we will see you guys very soon. 